I'm glad you came back since uh, I was here last. That's encouraging to me. And uh, it's been great. Lynchburg is a wonderful area. Nice people we've met. Uh, this morning I was with the college students just for a few few minutes and enjoyed that time and uh, got to talk with a few of you this morning. So many of you have tried to connect with us through uh, Facebook, and I'm thankful because I can see your face on Facebook, uh, though I can't see your face here uh, as you've covered it up, but uh, that's good for social distancing and all. But there's some encouraging news on the COVID front, and I think we're getting uh, more on the back end of it. Praise Jesus. Well, this morning we are together to worship our God, and, and I'm very Bible-centric, you know. We're going to preach the Bible. Hope you brought a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, then you've got one in the pew right in front of you, which is good, and we're going to dive into that uh, in just a few moments. just wanted to say a word. I'm thankful for Dr. Crow. Uh, boy, what a, what a man of God who's led you over the last uh, 20 months or so, and prior to that, Dr. Putt. But I watched the service last week, and I tell you what, you showered him wonderfully with gifts. I think he was uh, a little uh, taken back and overwhelmed, but uh, you, uh, you did well. Uh, I'm thinking he's going to want to do this more often where he'll go to church and retire again and go into a church and retire again. Hey, you know, uh, you can make a part-time uh, gig from that. That's pretty good. And I tell you, I, I just want to say thank you to you as well in this transition time that uh, both the WMU and so many of you, the transition team, have been so good to us. And I think we're going to gain about 25 pounds in the next two weeks with all the meals that are coming. They've been wonderful so far, and I know that it's just continuing on. So thank you for that. We, we certainly are a large family, and we like to eat. Uh, one of our sons has a t-shirt that says, I'm just here for the food, and that would, uh, I would get a larger version of that for me, which would be good. Um, but, uh, well, let me just dive right in. Let me tell you a story. I'm from Texas originally. Anybody from Texas originally? Come on, usually Texans are, yeah, 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 we're, we're a little more loud and rambunctious. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Maybe you've been through Texas. You know, well, there's a story uh, in my neck of the woods from Texas. My wife's originally from Texas. I'm originally from Texas. I've moved around a whole bunch. She stayed in one place, never left the state of Texas until she married me. Um, so I have got to show her the world, you know, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. But an old story in my neck of the woods about an old West Texas rancher who um, had a, a, a daughter who was uh, of the age of marriage, and he wanted to make sure to find a good young man for her. Now, he was a very wealthy man, so he invited every young eligible bachelor from five counties to come over to his ranch. So they all came over. They were very excited, and, and they invited him to the backyard. Perhaps you've heard the story. You invite him to the backyard. He he has a massive Olympic-sized swimming pool. And he had stocked that swimming pool with water moccasins and alligators and all kinds of uh, creatures in that thing. And he had them on one side, and he got to the other side. And he says, gentlemen, I just want you to know that I'm a wealthy man, and I'm going to give a prize away today to somebody who is willing to swim across that pool. All right, so there's three prizes you get to pick from. One, you get a million dollars if you make it across. Or you can select the second prize, which is 1,000 acres of prime real estate in my ranch. Or you can get the hand of my daughter, because I've certainly seen that you are capable, you're courageous, you're confident, and you're willing to go after something that you think is worthy. So one of those three things. Before he got the last words out, he heard a splash. There was a young man swimming across that pool as fast as you can imagine. The heart of that father was just, just beaming, going, man, there's a young man in our county that really knows how to have courage and, and confidence and overcome. And that young man swam across. He helped him out of the pool. And he says, oh, I'm so excited. that. You, what, which prize do you want? Do you want the million dollars? And that young man says, no, sir. He says, do you want the 1,000 acres of prime real estate? He says, no, sir. 
He says, oh, so you want the hand of my daughter. And if you're smart, you'll realize that when I die, all of it goes to my daughter anyway, which would go to you. And, and he says, you want the hand of my daughter. He says, no, sir. He's like, well, son, then what do you want? He says, I want to know the name of the man who pushed me into the pool. <laughs> Have you ever found in life that you're wondering how in the world you got there and who pushed you into the pool? You found yourself in some difficult situations, and you're like, man, I didn't sign up for this. Well, I'm not in that situation today. I'm excited. I know who pushed me into the pool. God did. He brought me right here, and he brought you here. And right now, in the midst of COVID, I look at around the country, and a lot of people are confused. What's going on? There's been job transfers. There's been a lot of different things, health issues. And even since the last time we were here, there's been people who have passed away, dear saints that are uh, related to this church or, or members of this church. And I know there's been some difficulty going on. How did we get here? Listen, God is on his throne. He is not shocked, confused, anxious. He has it all under control, and we just trust him. And sometimes he'll push us into the pool so that we'll take steps that we never would have taken on our own strength. But wherever God leads us, he'll always provide for us. Amen? Where he guides, he provides, and we just trust him in that. And that's why we have to be so close to the word and so close in prayer so we understand who our stability is in this life. As we go into the next few weeks, I wanted to start a brand new series called Better Together. I truly believe the church is better together than we are apart. Let me quote uh, Charles Swindoll. Any Charles Swindoll fans? He's a great man of God. He says, we cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We can't change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. He says, I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me, but 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. All we can do is change our attitudes. The next few weeks, we'll talk about better together. Today, I'm going to focus specifically on thriving together. What does it mean when we come together and we're going to thrive? You know, some people in our world just want to survive. I don't think Christianity is called to just survive. I think we're called to thrive in the world that we've been given. That even in the first century, as the difficulties of the first century church, it wasn't roses and, 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 and popcorn and peanuts and just nice things. It, the, the world was crushing in on them. Rome was trying to attack the Christians, and they thrived in the midst of all the persecution. So I don't think we're living in those days. So let's not just live in a world where we survive. Let's live in a world where we're thriving as Christians, because I think the greatest days of revival is coming. We haven't had a great revival across this nation in over 100 years. First great awakening, second great awakening, I'm ready for the third great awakening where people know Jesus Christ is the only way. It's not going to be through politics, it's not going to be through economic boom, it's not going to be just getting past the COVID. I think it's when we find out that Christ is the only hope we have in this world. We're going to talk about thriving together, next week we're going to, we're going to talk about it. it's Labor Day weekend, we're going to re learn to rest together because God does all the work. We just follow in his footsteps. Following week, we're going to talk about growing together. What does that mean? And then finally, I'll conclude the four-week message on, on stronger together. So let's not just survive today. Let's, let's learn to thrive. I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at just one verse today. I'll make it really simple. 
Typically, I'm going verse by verse through an entire book, but this uh, uh, topical series over the next four weeks will just hit different kind of verses. But today, I'll make it real simple. We're going to deal with one verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, pick up the Pew Bible and open up to page 838. I always love your eyeballs on the page because I want you to know it's God's words, not mine. I'll give commentary around it and I'll try to apply it, but it's God's words that we have to deal with, not just what I think or what I say. And so there's three basic phrases in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Hopefully it's so short that you're willing to memorize it. Whether you're starting your college uh, semester, you're, you're entering uh, uh, online school in, in the younger grades, if you're uh, stepping into work this next week, whatever it is, these three phrases, this one verse is a verse that we together, uh, as we're better together, thrive with. When we learn that to, we can rejoice in hope, we can be patient in tribulation, and we can be constant in prayer. There is no other verse that I know of that more uh, uh, succinctly defines what it means to thrive in the Christian life. Rejoicing in hope. We have much to celebrate and praise Jesus for, even in the midst of the tribulation that we'll encounter. Every one of us will encounter difficulties. Jesus never promised. There's no place in the New Testament that says, oh, if you'll just follow me, it'll all be nice. It'll be easy. No, quite frankly, I find that when we're most effective in the Christian life is when we have the most difficulties. You know, one of the greatest revivals going on in the world today is in China, the underground church, under most severe persecution. We had some missionaries there uh, that we, uh, we know very well uh, not too long ago, and then they had to come out of the country because of some of the changes. Uh, you can't even uh, buy or sell a Bible in China. You know, they were having to smuggle some in again. And so it's difficult. Those are difficult situations and the church is thriving in the underground church. It's through tribulation and persecution that, that we grow the most. And then be constant in prayer and we'll deal with that. Let's just talk, take these one at a time. First is rejoice in hope. You realize you were made for a purpose. That, that everything about your life, you may think nobody on the planet really knows you, but let me say that God knows you intimately. He knows your fears. He knows your, your excitements, what, what, what you love, what you don't love. He knows the people you interact with. Everything in your life, God knows about, and he's designed your life to be for his glory and pleasure. That's exciting to me. Because there's a lot of things about me, I'm just like, I, if... if I was the one, one to interact with me, I'm not sure I would sometimes. And God never leaves us nor abandons us. We are so varied and different in this room, and God still loves every one of us. And I love how uh, Archie Sproul is a guy I love to listen to at times, and he says there's no maverick molecule in your entire body, meaning there's nothing outside that God doesn't know about and, and can work with. There's nothing that can just... Thwart the plan of God. God is in your life, even in the midst of your difficulties. And so in that truth, we can rejoice in hope. You have gifts, abilities, strengths, directions that God has given you. You have opportunities that some people have never had, but you have been given that gift by God. That is a good thing. We can rejoice in that, yes? You have much to rejoice in. Believers ought to be filled with joy 
due to the hope that awaits them. The verse here is specifically, and most of the verses of the New Testament that deal with hope are eschatological, meaning in times, that what, what happens later. Sometimes you're like, how do I, I rejoice in hope now because I don't see a lot? But we live in a world where it's not just about what we see, it's about who we can't see but we truly believe in. And there's a world coming that we're going to encounter that is his blessed glory that we get to be a part of. And that is a certain hope, not just I hope so. You understand the difference? That we do not camp out here thinking this is our permanent residence. We're rejoicing, though, that this isn't the end. Certainly, there is a very popular book came out, I don't know, a decade ago about your best life now. I'm going to tell you right up front, this is not my best life now. My best life is to come. If this is the best is, let me just go ahead and sign off because I don't want any more. I want the best life to be what God provides, and it's coming. The reason I'm still here is because God wants to live his glory through me so that more people may have the hope that I have within. Be ready to share the hope that's within. The hope is what God is already preparing for you in your future. Jesus has gone away, yes? He was on this planet, and he said to those disciples, you're going to go and, and make disciples. You're, you're going to go, you're going to baptize, you're going to teach. But lo, I'm with you always. But see, what is he doing? He had already told them earlier in John chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a certain hope that you have when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in hope. Hope is looking forward to, with, I'm going to trip over this one day. Hope is looking forward with happy anticipation to all that God has for you. There is no need to fear our future because we're no longer slaves to fear. Did you just sing that out loud to me? Or to God, I mean? Did you just sing that out loud? Do you believe the words you sing? There's, we're no longer slaves to fear because we have nothing to fear that God has already provided the way. So, listen, there is no need to fear our future because God is in control and Christ is the reason that we can be hopeful. The Greek word for hope is a confident trust rather than an uncertain expectation. This, is, this hope is not a vague sentimentality. There's a lot of things in our life we go, oh, I hope this happens or I hope this happens. That's not how the Bible ever uses the word hope. Hope is always a certain confidence that you already know. Perhaps you, you've had a, a loved one pass away that left you an inheritance, and you knew there was going to be some type of inheritance. You didn't get it when you were young, but later on you did get it because you knew for certain it was going to be there. It was preserved for you. See, Jesus has something for you that is confidently protected that will never be taken away. But we have a certain hope. The Christian has an anchor for the future, and that anchor is called hope. And Christ's return brings our ultimate redemption to have that hope. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Listen to me, it didn't say there's hopefully or, or, or maybe a, a crown of righteousness. No, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will confidently award to me on that day. And not only to me, but listen to this, to all who have loved his appearing. Paul wasn't just speaking about himself, he's talking about anybody who loves the Lord. That you can have confidence that there's a crown of righteousness that's laid up for you because the righteous judge has provided it. 
Peter spoke of this born anew and, and this, this hope. He called it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It, we were born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can we have confidence and rejoice in hope? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And that fact is not changing. He rose. There were eyewitnesses, over 500 people who saw him after his resurrection. I've personally not seen the Lord Jesus face to face, but I certainly have felt his spirit and I've heard his call. And I have hope. I have a certainty that I'll be in heaven rejoicing with so many that I've interacted with all over the world because God has risen from the dead. Hope is the mark of a Christian and is the most evident is it most evident in the joy displayed? This, so the question is, in this first phrase, in this verse, it says rejoice in hope. Have you thought more about the hope of your future in heaven during this time? Or have you had your focus more on the challenges and, and the difficulties? Have you been fretting or rejoicing during this time? When times get tough, our focus will determine our attitude. So during difficulties, when we're fearful, we're anxious, we're uncertain, maybe your focus ought to be more on Christ and the hope that you have and then rejoice in that because your mindset will determine the way you live your life and what people see is the testimony of what you believe. You can say a lot of things. I've had people come to me and say, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. You ought to tell your face. We ought to have a few missionaries go and do some missionary work on some faces sometimes. Because, listen, the heart shouldn't be connected to the circumstances we're encountering every day. Circumstances change. You have a bad pizza on a Friday night. Saturday, you feel different. <laughs> but that's temporary. Focus on what really matters, what Christ is telling us through the writings of Paul here. Rejoice, that is a command. And how can we rejoice in the midst of challenges and difficulties and, and, and struggles? We rejoice in the hope that this world is not our home. We have something better coming. Hang on. Cling. I love another passage in the Bible where it says, cling to the Christ who clings on to you. That's a rough paraphrase of a Philippians a verse. But rejoice in hope. Here's the second thing. And this is where we deal with the tribulation. The second phrase. Have you memorized this verse yet? Would you just say this with me? Rejoice in hope. You're one-third of the way there. Be patient in tribulation. Would you say that? Be patient in tribulation. This is the one we don't memorize as well. How many of you want patience and you want it now? How many of you live with somebody who's impatient? Don't look at them. Just, I just want to know. Just acknowledge. <laughs> Patience is one of the most challenging things because, like, how many of you thought when, when they told you on, like, what, what March 12th or 13th or wherever it was, hey, we're going to have to shut down the church, we're going to have to maybe close a business, and, and maybe this will be a few weeks. How many of you thought, really, it was going to be a couple of weeks? Month and a half max. Yeah. We thought, well, how are we going to do this? Okay, well, I can be patient for a couple of weeks. And then... April came and went. I don't even know what happened in April. And then May happened. And you're learning. You, know, you think you're patient when you have to be patient for a few days, but patience for six weeks, three months, it's just continuing on. We don't know. I'm not a patient person. I like to be, you know, things to be done now. But the Lord has certainly worked on me, and he's still working on me. I'll confess, I'm not totally there. 
I'm learning patience. And you know what? When God does the most work in me and patience is when he, he totally shuts me down. Now, obviously, COVID has shut almost everybody down for a season. But like when I, uh, I have a medical issue and I can't, I can't physically move or I was in the hospital, I had my gallbladder out, and I hated that. I was so busy that week before, and I had things to do the next week, and then I, I had a gallbladder attack, and I had to remove that. Guess what you can do for the next week? Nothing. And I hate doing nothing. But the Lord was speaking to me through that, going, perhaps it's time to slow down and listen a little more and stop just running along with your own show, in a sense. That being patient in tribulation. Now, you realize Paul's saying this to the, the Christians in Rome, and Rome had in severe attacks. Anybody ever heard of Nero? It wasn't a great time to be a Christian. It's not like you'd wear your Christian t-shirt and go to Christian concerts in, in Rome during that time. And he's communicating to these people, be patient in this tribulation. And many of them lost their lives during that time. But, you know, to be, to be here is great, but be, be, not be here to be with Christ is even greater, Paul tells us. So, therefore, you know, live for Christ while you're here, and to die is gain. Don't worry about it. But be patient during this time. It's so difficult to be patient. I understand that. But if we're going to rejoice in the hope of what's to come, we can be patient during the difficulties because we have a confidence it all turns out in the end. That's why you ought to read the Bible more than you just read the newspaper or watch the news. Because it's all worked out if you'll pay attention very closely. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, so he's already written about this type of thing to the people uh, by the time he gets to chapter 12. But Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing, now listen why, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Some of you are athletic trainers and do that type of thing. You don't just wake up one day and run a marathon. You don't just wake up one day and bench press 300 pounds. It takes endurance. It takes time. You have to work out those muscles. Well, guess what? Every one of us has to work out our faith. There's a confident faith that God has saved us, but there's a sanctifying process that we're working out, battling an old sinful man with the, the new Holy Spirit that lives within us, and we have to work that out. And so as we continue through the difficulty, we know the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We get to the point where we can rejoice in the hope because we've worked through the suffering, the challenges, the, the problems. And verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The only fighting chance we have is that the Holy Spirit resides within. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, listen to me, you got something you didn't deserve, you got salvation. But you also have a helper, a Holy Spirit that you can depend on. He actually helps you pray. Because there are times you don't even know what to pray. Read Romans chapter 8 where you're going to go, I don't even know what to say. And the Holy Spirit communicates those inner uh, challenges and communicates that to the Father. The Holy Spirit is your overcoming helper through the challenges. The reason you can be patient is because you're leaning upon his strength and not your own. There are days you'll wake up and say, I can't do this. And that's a good acknowledgement. You can't. But you say, I can't do this, but I know the God who loves me and the Holy Spirit that's within me will help me to overcome, and he'll help me be patient during these tribu uh, tri tribulation times, through these uh, afflictions that, that I'm encountering. 
First Peter chapter 1, he certainly knew, Peter did, about the difficulties. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the, uh, that the tested genuineness of your faith, Oh, that's a, that's a challenging phrase right there. The tested genuineness of your faith. I have faith, but boy, I don't like to be tested. But I must, because you know what it does? It doesn't prove anything to God. It really just proves something to us, that God is still working in us. That more precious than gold that perishes through it, it is tested by fire. It may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through, uh, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that the inexpressible and filled, what is inexpressible and filled with glory. Verse 9 of 1 Peter 1 says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of souls. It was Samuel Johnson, who's a writer and a poet, he said this. He said, whatever we hope ever to do with ease, we must first learn to do with, uh, with diligence. No one knows better than the overcoming perseverance than Ann Sullivan as she worked with Helen Keller. They were in Alabama. She said this, keep on beginning and failing. Each time you fail, start all over again. And you will grow stronger until you have accomplished your purpose. Not the one you began with, perhaps, but the one you'll be glad to remember. When facing trials, when learning to be patient in tribulation, we endure patiently knowing that God is in control. Christians are like tea bags. Anybody like tea? My wife loves tea. The best tea is put in the hottest water. And then you see what comes out. Now, you can put your ice in there later, of course, but the best tea is put in the hottest water. Christians are like tea bags. Sometimes God puts us in hot water so that what's inside already begins to be seen on the outside. What's genuine, we're tested in our faith, and then it's put on display. Nowhere in the Bible does God promise us that we'll avoid tribulation and, and, and difficulties. You know, the church was actually born in tribulation, difficulties and it grew it passed through the fire and the blood even riding with the blood of the martyrs so many stories of overcoming and the Christian ought not rebel in tribulation or rashly accuse God that he has abandoned them a Christian is one who learns to be patient by the power of the Spirit and knowing with with full confidence God is too wise to make mistakes he is too loving to be unkind, and he's too powerful to be thwarted in his ultimate aims. God will accomplish his will. And when you just surrender and you trust him during the patient tribulation, will overcome. The realization that life is, is to some, uh, uh, some extent an obstacle course keeps a person from being surprised when things don't go as they planned. Afflictions are to be navigated under the direction of God. When you find that you run across a wall and you're hitting yourself against that same brick wall all the time, say, God, what is it you want me to do? How should I respond? What am I not seeing? Give me the eyes to see the wonderful things in your ways. 
which brings us to the last part. As I've already said, if you're going to rejoice in hope, you've got to know him. And, and if you're going to be patient in tribulation, you've got to ask him. So the last phrase is what? Be constant in what? Prayer. This is not something we just do once in a while when you're in the worst of the worst situations. Okay, let me look back. Okay, I need to talk to God again. No, prayer ought to be like breathing to you. You won't last very long without breathing. And I know you have a difficulty with the mask on to breathe sometimes. Well, sometimes we're putting masks on our prayer life, and we're not, we're not talking to him very much. Be constant in prayer. Why constant? In one translation, it says to be instant in prayer, meaning it ought to be just all the time, instantly. It was Charles Spurgeon, Baptist pastor of another generation, said it is on our knees that we will overcome. I agree with that 100%. Prayer is like breathing. It ought to be constant. It ought to be instant. It ought to be expectant. In the book of Matthew, if you want the bookends of Matthew, I love the book of Matthew. I preached through it a time or two. But uh, in Matthew, at the beginning, we, and we, we always look at Matthew chapter 1 during Christmas, all right? Because Jesus is coming, the birth story is there, and then they say, you're going to name him Emmanuel. And do you recall what Emmanuel means? God with us. All right, so chapter 1, we learn that when Jesus comes, he is with us. I'll step back up here because sometimes I can't see your faces. All right, All right now I'm back here. All right, so he is with you in Matthew chapter 1. Emmanuel, God is with you, meaning he didn't just come to, to kind of be around. No, he wants to come be with you. And when somebody is with you, it is very odd when you don't talk to them. You ever been to a restaurant and seen five people sitting together and nobody's talking to each other or all on their cell phone? Thinking, you're missing out on an opportunity to interact with people that are sitting right with you. Why talk to somebody across the country when you can talk to somebody who's sitting right face to face? All right, so Matthew chapter 1, God is with you. Jesus reminds them of that in Matthew chapter 28. What did he say? Uh, he's going to go, but he says, Lo, I am with you always. If you want to understand the book of Matthew, look at the bookends because that's an emphasis. He is with you. I'm always with you. If you have a God of the universe who is with you, why would we ignore him? He has much wisdom, and he has a great tender ear to listen. He hears our hearts, our hurts, our hang-ups, and he also wants to communicate with you through his word and in your spirit. Be constant in prayer. A mark of a believer's life is most evident in prayer, for prayer is the lifeline to God. This must be persistent. William Barclay, a commentator of, of an earlier generation, he says, no man should be surprised when life collapses if he insists on living it alone. The reasons we fail to pray is either, one, we don't think God, or we don't think we need God's help, which is foolish, or we don't believe God really cares or is capable to help us. Either we think we can do it all, everything on our own, or we don't think he's capable or caring enough to do something for us. And both those are foolish perspectives. If you look at any person in history from Bible times all the way to today, you know that God cares, he is capable, and he desires to be communicated with in order to accomplish his perfect will in your life. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Franklin Graham said this. He said, prayer is the most powerful resource we have in this life, yet many only turn to it as a last resort. 
When unbelievers pray for repentance of sin and ask God for forgiveness, prayer is the spiritual dynamite that obliterates the darkness and despair of a sin-soaked soul. It was Martin Luther who started the Reformation. Uh, the reason we're Baptists is because we did not cling on to the Catholic ways. We, we, we joined on to the, the, the Protestant Reformation. We're all Protestant. It was Martin Luther who, who was a theologian, who was a preacher, who was a lecturer, a debater, he was an author, he, he was a husband, he was a father of six children. I love this guy. But he said this, with all the things that he had to do, he says, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. He said that he prayed because he could accomplish nothing without the power of God. In our world, with all the difficulties and the divisions, with all the tasks and responsibilities, with all, uh, uh, with all the, uh, that we have as recipients of his grace and hope, how can we not be constant, instant, continual in prayer? This includes praying for one another. It also includes praying with one another. That's why it's, we're better together. The first century church gives us an incredible example. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. He said that into the corporate context. You need to together be praying without ceasing. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I desire that in every place that men together should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and without quarreling. You know, when you pray, a lot of divisions are broken down. If we, as a nation, would pray more together, we'd have a lot less fighting and bickering and division. Stay off Facebook and just pray with one another. That'd be far better. Constant in prayer. That's how we thrive. How blessed it, it would be when a church is known for their united prayers more than their problems and divisions and quarrels. We pray to God for wisdom. We pray to God for guidance, for strength, for peace, for power, for unity. Once again, I'll quote from Charles Spurgeon who said, Let me know the day when you give up praying for me, for then I will stop preaching for you. Because he believed his, prayer, or his preaching was only as powerful as the prayers of his people. And I'll say this as we start our time together and we close uh, today. Without your prayers, I will not be effective in what God's called me to do. I need your prayers, and I've been praying for you. I thank, I'm thankful you put a little name tag on so I'll, I can put the face with the name, the mask with the name. As I see on Facebook or other places, I'm praying for you. I, they were so kind to give me a, a directory with the majority of your pictures. If you haven't got your picture done, uh, I'll give you grace. Get your picture done so that can be in the directory. I've got that on my app, actually. There's a little app for Breeze. I think you guys can get that, too. But I'm praying for names, faces, and for the families that I'm seeing, and I'm asking I'm begging, I'm pleading with you. Pray for me and my family. I was thankful for the men who gathered with me in my office this morning, which, by the way, the office is beautiful, blue. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. You don't have to spend time in there. I do. It looks great. Whoever painted that did a fantastic job. But as we sat in there, I don't know, about eight, ten men in there, and we prayed, I tell you what, that was a powerful moment. Because I don't ever want to step into this, this room or the, into the pulpit without the prayers of the people. Because it's not my words or my power, it's God's. And I need you. I want to pray with you, and I'll certainly pray for you. 
So today, as we conclude, I just thought these three words will help you remember the three points here. There's praise. We ought to be rejoicing in hope. There's praise. There's patience. And there's prayer. And I hope that this is how we thrive together as a church going forward. That we always praise Jesus because we know our hope is secure. That we will be patient with one another. We'll be patient in the days that we have ahead. And we'll also be prayerful. Let's conclude our, our service. We'll have the team come up. I want to pray and invite uh, anyone who wants to be a part of what we're doing. Our family's going to be joining this church and, and marching forward together, but maybe uh, you're out here and you just want to join Jesus. You want that secure hope that I'm talking about. I'm going to be standing down here. I know it's an awkward time with COVID, but you know what? I'm just going to love on you if you come down. If you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, want to just put, lay your life on the hope of Jesus, then I'll be down here for you. Also, you want to go public and be baptized? I think we can get the water running here. I've not looked at the baptistry, but I'm sure it's ready to go whenever you are. If you want to join the church, it's like I am. I think that's great. I think you ought to just join the church and say, I'm with you, Pastor, because we're going to go together marching forward to what God has for us. And I always like to throw this out periodically. Just, just know there are some of you who are being called to ministry in some aspect. Uh, we used to call, when I was a younger man uh, in church, they used to say, you know, if you feel called to be a missionary or a pastor, and, and quite frankly, I'd like to expand that. If you feel called by God to do something with your life, then you ought to let people know that. So I'll call you for any of those things, as this is the Lord's altar, not mine. And he calls you salvation for repentance uh, of just, you know, backsliding. He calls you to baptism. He calls you to church membership. He calls you to surrender your life to the vocation that God desires for you. Let me pray for us, and we'll respond. Father, I'm thankful for today that, that our family's been anticipating for weeks to be a part of this loving fellowship. Father, I pray we're not here just sitting on our padded potential, but we truly are rejoicing in hope, being patient during the tribulation, but also we're, we're going to be constant in prayer, praying for one another, praying with one another, and seeing what you can do. Father, now it's our time to respond to what you have told us to do. And in today's uh, service, I pray you would do your work in, in the hearts and minds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.